Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I am Patrick. And I'm Tony. And uh, we're digging right back into What About Evil by Scott Christensen. And uh, so far, we've covered kind of um, uh, the bringing up of the grand scheme of stories upon all stories. And, That's right. The, the uh, meta narrative. Right, right. right. Something so, like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, at, at the time of uh, this recording, uh, which is probably a month of what you're watching, uh, um, Jordan Peterson has been on with Joe Rogan and talking about how <laughs> the Bible is the the first book in which we can derive all books from. And we talked about with um, with uh, um, our other books that you know the, the 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 Bible is the first kind of codex. So Christians invented the book, putting you know, scrolls together and combining in them a together. book form. Right. Right. Yeah. And so all of, all of Western thoughts and ideas can derive from this, this one book. And so from this one book, we have the story that kind of all stories is based on. And so we made in the image of God are, are deriving all of our stories, all our known, you know, collective works and those stories that stick in our heads from time immemorial to, Currently, the the rising and falling action, the climax. Uh, if you watch movies, it's the, the, the that kind of three act structure, and um, we all derive it based on the ultimate author, the ultimate storyteller, and that's God. And that story is laid out with the redemption of a fallen people, of fallen fallen actors, and and uh, so we're kind of covering what that looks like today in uh, in chapter eleven, the one true story. Yeah. And so uh, he uh, starts off here with saying that understanding the greatest story ever told is the starting place for resolving the conflict of evil. Yeah, and I just want to remind folks we're going through this book, What About Evil? by Scott Christensen, right? And so uh, this is chapter 11, right? (laughs) So we need the one true story, the one true story (laughs) of creation to fall, fall to new creation, as told by the one transcendent author of real history, to resolve the problem of evil. As uh, John Frame puts it, the whole Bible addresses the problem of evil. From the whole story turns on the entrance of sin and evil into the world and on God's plan for dealing with it. Let us set the stage for this remarkable story. Yeah, so it's amazing, this whole issue of, you know, what about evil and the problem of evil and that sort of thing. That is what all of the scripture, as Frame sees it, is all about, mm-hmm. dealing with that sort of thing, right? So, you know, uh, atheists attempt to say, well, you know, you have the problem of evil. Well, of course we do. That's what all of life is all about. That's what all of redemptive history is all about, the problem of evil mm-hmm. and God solving it. So, you know, as he has implied several times, Christensen, we should embrace it. I mean, it's part of what God is doing. It's part of, you know, God's plan and fact we can be a part of it right. right right that's how we can call even the fall good because from it god can show his goodness as both a judge as a as a, a redeemer uh as someone who comes into the world and we'll kind of cover that later but um but there are there are elements that evil allows kind of god to uh show himself more fully in that and ultimately sh- shows himself uh, uh, amazingly, uh, you know, all the, all the, all the good words that you can pack in into the incarnation, 
and the and and uh, you know Christ's redemption on the cross is is solidified there of of who God is, and so you know when when Christians focus on the cross, that's that's the ultimate turning point of of mankind and shows the kind of the full glory of God. It's not it's not the the second coming of Christ that we marvel at, even though all the conferences and all the <laughs> the best selling prophecy books of you know uh, of the, 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 you know, look for these signs are popular, but ultimately the cross is the full manifestation of God's uh, uh, purpose of creating uh, mankind and his creation and then redeeming it. Right. Not, not just, you know, winking it out of existence and creating it new, but he takes that story. What, you know, why after Genesis three, does he not just uh, uh, be like the, the author and go, no, I didn't like that. Control A, delete. Yeah. Get the giant eraser out. Crumple up the paper, throw it away. Right, right. And the, the, the basket at the end of the universe. <laughs> and so, yeah, so so the, this isn't something that surprised God. It's not something that uh, uh, was an oopsie, you know, no one divided by zero. Um, uh, God uh, purposely planned it. He knew it was coming and he uh, utilized it. And uh, once we get to uh, his coverage of of Romans nine, uh, is is going to be a, a big deal that shows um, exactly uh, what the purpose is of for having all the evil. Yeah, yeah. So it begins this chapter by talking about the narrative character of Scripture. Right? He says that the Bible is profoundly a literary book. And in fact, he says, or shall we say books, right? Yeah. <laughs> the sum of its 66 books embraces a grand narrative. There are narratives within the larger meta narrative, all contributing to an overarching uh, canonical plot of creation, as you mentioned, and fall and redemption, yeah. right? So this is a, a story that God is telling, right. right? Or at least he's allowing us to live through. Mm-hmm. Right. right. It, so, you know, why when you're reading Genesis and it comes to the patriarchs, are you reading not just a list of rules or a list of commands by God? Those are in there. Those those are important. Why are you reading the the lives of of men in there? It's because within the scope of the rules and the decrees of God, you're getting people who exist and operate in conjunction with God's plan out of part of God's uh, 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 declarative plan, but ultimately in his, in his degrees, you know, I was, I was, uh, uh, I just finished uh, uh, the end of Genesis and seeing, you know, um, um, Israel uh, being unable to, to see as he, you know, blesses his uh, 12 children, including Joseph's mm, two kids. Mm, mm-hmm. And he's unable to see just like he tricked his father into. And, you know, th- there's these, wow. the, you yeah. know, the, these, these really big parallels that, that you, you see like, oh, you know, he, uh, here you, you, you got your uh, stolen birthright and um, uh, ultimately God used that uh, for his glory that he's then going to use the 12 tribes very up until the end of the story in, in revelation, we're reading about those same 12 tribes, mm-hmm. uh, um, that, that are important, but those stories stick with us and, and, and we're able to, um, learn from them just like how we, um, learn from any major story that, that we, you know, read in high school or, or are reading today. And, and, and it's done in a narrative form to kind of solidify the point of, all right, the, these are actions that are happening in God's world. Here are people that are utilizing them. What can we learn from them mm-hmm. in both the good and the bad? Mm-hmm. So historically, Christianity has highlighted 
uh, propositional assertions as the primary vehicle of communicating biblical truth and constructing a careful theology. And, and of course, that's that's true, right? We say, that, you know, we preach propositionally right. oftentimes, right? We right. preach the truth and we give it in propositions, right? This is what it says, this is what it says, this is what it says, right? right? right. Yeah. yeah, we we structure systematic theology. Uh, oh, you know, let, let's 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 cut through the 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 sacrificing of bulls and stuff like that. Let's let's get to you know certain certain um, uh, the theological statements right, that we, we can want, draw from. Give us the truth, yeah. right? Just state the truth. Right. That's what we yeah. want, right? Yeah. And that's that. You know, it, <laughs> and those are important. That's how we kind of teach children as well. But you know, uh, why in primary school do we focus on Daniel in the lion's den? Oh, yeah. and why is that yeah. interesting? Or Shadrach, yeah. Meshach, and Abednego, you know, in the fiery furnace and there's uh, the, the, the prefigured Christ right there, or, uh, you know, uh, s- stories of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. There are propositions in there, you know, the important truths that, that are revealed, but they're interacted with in the story of humanity along the way. So, for example, Pauline logic is crucial for our understanding of many biblical doctrines. We're just talking about Romans. Romans is hugely philosophical. And propositional, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Yet, the broader canon of Scripture conveys truth through wider genres and modes of thinking. Right, right. Now, he says the dramatic drama of a story and poetry adds sound, color, flavor, texture, and aroma to revelational truth that simply cannot be conveyed, conveyed by, you know, theological abstraction, mm-hmm. right? Drama and doctrine, he says, are equally necessary and complementary uh, components of our understanding of the Christian faith. The drama of Scripture informs doctrine, and doctrine digs deeper into the meaning of drama, Right, so drama grips the heart, while doctrine fortifies the mind. So you need both, is what he's arguing. Here, right, right, right. It's 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 the whole person that it it uh, affects. Yeah. yeah. So scripture contains uh, little in the way of explicit propositions that might form a basis for constructing a theodicy. And he's, uh, Christensen says here that he believes that the reason why is that the power of a biblical theodicy is better conveyed in the deeply effective nature of the meta narrative of scripture the paradigmatic source of the universal storyline that literary critics call the mono myth the single myth and myth isn't here is just like oh here are the the made up things right. but here's the 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 kind of prime story that's uh, kind of infused in our nature uh, god is a storyteller and we reflect that in our own stories and they they grip us so, you know why are we still reading Homer's Odyssey, uh, you know, e- even today, or you know, Huck Finn, or 1984. Why are all these? Why, why don't we just learn about government is bad, totalitarian government very bad? You know, why, why does why does a renowned socialist, uh, uh, you know, in in 1948 talk about the the perils of this corrupt government in just that type of form? It's because that story grips us and yeah. we, we look at it and we can see that today, how, how things are labeled as 1984-ish. So we pull from the, the, the real world to inform the fictional world and then in the fictional world resonates in our society. And then once we see it in our society, in our government, we reference it back. It's a kind of a self-referencing thing. Uh, Christians do that as well. And, and that's what we want to, to encourage other people. That's why we tell these stories along with uh, no one is righteous. No, not one, but Christ died for you. And so right. there's, there's the, the propositional uh, statement in there as well. Exactly. Right. 
And so he says that while some texts provide important propositional anchors, the more poignant way to make sense of God's uh, overarching purpose for evil is to see how it fits into the Bible storyline as the principal conflict around which God seeks to highlight redemption, right? So it's, it's central, quite frankly, the whole issue of evil. So in this regard, he tells us it's, uh, it comes uh, when it comes to questions of evil and pain and suffering, the Bible is primarily focused on the forest, right? And not the trees, right? right. It looks at the whole and doesn't always bother with the myriad of parts. Uh, it answers the broad questions, but doesn't usually deal with matters such as, you know, why this or that evil or why not now and instead of then or, you know, why her instead of him? He says those types of details, generally speaking, the Bible uh, doesn't uh, deal with. Right, right, right. Yeah, the, the, there's, uh, you know, when we're talking about um, uh, the Babylonians or the Assyrians coming to remove uh, Israel from, from um, you know, from the, the, the promised land, there's not really a focus on, well, here's, you know, little Jehoshaphat in the middle and he gets trampled by the wagon wheel as they're trying to escape. Why did God allow this to happen? There's no real story focus on that point, mm. but there's a, the, the, the bigger story of this is what rebellion against God looks like. Okay. You want to, you want to, you know, uh, follow up after other gods. You, you want to turn away from uh, the, the, the one that brought you out of, uh, out of the world, you know, out of, out of Egypt and brought you to the redeemed world where then you're supposed to be the, the proclaimers, the proclamators of, of, the the promise of God to redeem His people. All right, this is what it looks like. Here's judgment, and the, the, there's the, the 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 big more. This is the reason why it's happening, and so we get that within Scripture there. Mm. So this chapter will summarize the Bible's grand storyline. The following chapters uh, will analyze using propositional arguments, so it won't stick as well because <laughs> we're talking about them. All right. The meaning of this story in terms of how it frames a biblical theodicy. So we get the story here, and then the rest of the other, some of the other chapters he's doing then the propositional, the truths, right? right? right. Yeah. So, so kind of this chapter, so uh, last chapter, chapter 9 or uh, 10, he's kind of setting up the story. He's, he's sitting you around the campfire. And uh, <laughs> chapter 11 here, he's going to tell us the story, and it's, it's very, very well laid out here. Yeah. Both showing uh, historical narrative and telling the theo- the theology are necessary components to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. not just uh, Jack and Jill went up the hill. There's, you know, there's a purpose for why, why we're talking about that. There's, uh, you know, a, a, um, uh, a purpose to the story. We're not just saying things happen. It's, we're saying either things happen for a reason or here are things happen that then we can apply those things that we should have seen in there to uh, practical living. The narrative and poetic uh, portions of scripture are always clarified in the broader context by translating its truth into dogma. That right. is like theological so again, assertions. You, you got to have both is what he's suggesting mm-hmm. here. All right, so let's jump into it. The Bible, history, and myth, right? He says, literary giants Tolkien and Lewis called the biblical narrative 
the true myth, yeah. right? And of course, this designation, he says, can be misleading, right? This idea of myth. For evangelicals, he says, the use of the term myth in biblical studies does not uh, usually garner praise and for good reason. It's, uh, you know, it's preferable to identify the grand narrative of Scripture as the one true story as opposed to, to the myth is what he's right, suggesting. Right. Right? Yeah. We all took uh, uh, mythology back in the day. And so <laughs> now all, all we think about when we think of myth is Hercules and Greeks and Romans and Apollo and, uh, you know, p- putting um, or- Orion in the sky because of, uh, of Apollo's, uh, you know, uh, uh, greed of, of and lust. Uh, but here uh, we're talking about uh, this, this the, the true story that then myths that like uh, Apollo and Orion uh, derive its its uh, its taste from it, mm. it's it's God's telling us this story. We then tell other stories to kind of uh, make sense of the world. And by us pointing to the Bible, we're saying uh, here's where the the source of those made up stories are. You know, we can read 1984 and we can say, oh, I know something like that because it is informed in the world that we live in. Uh, men's corrupt nature corrupts uh, absolutely when given immense set of power. We see that in fiction, and then we see it uh, later on. And so instead of saying, oh, this is like 1984, we can say, this was like 1984, which showed us things in the world like we see in Scripture. Mm. So that's what <laughs> So the biblical canon is not myth in the common sense, that is, falsehoods, fictions, fables, and fantasies, nor does it contain historical exaggerations, distortions, or accretions uh, that conceal some elusive historical core. Mm. We're, we're, not, we're not digging for the nugget of truth. It is truth. Right. Right. While it has some features that are often uh, likened to ancient Near Eastern and Hellenistic myths, and like it also distinguished from those myths in three important ways. Right. So it distinguishes first, uh, you know, it doesn't embrace the pagan worldviews of those uh, myths, right? It seeks to, quite frankly, refute those worldviews. Yeah. Right? Especially, too, it, it starts with uh, a, a, a full creation. It's not just uh, he, here. here's uh, two uh, super gods that... Uh, have children and they exist in the Kronos and then, you know, they eat their children until the, the, the mighty, you know, uh, Jupiter comes forth and is no, he, he's not the rock and he slays his father. You know, it, it exists with God creating and then everything. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So, and then secondly, uh, it's, it's uh, he tells us it's self-consciously crafted as factual history that has been shown to be reliable, including all of its manifestations of the supernatural, right? Miracles, you know, form a crucial dimension of its history, lest we become functional atheists, right? (laughs) So it's, you know, it's uh, self-consciously crafted like this. And then thirdly, he says, the Bible stands alone as the divinely breathed, inerrant word of the living God. Therefore, it is the source of all the crucial truths that we need to make sense of the world we live in and, of course, to deal with the problem of evil. Right. right. And as us presumptionists say, uh, um, without God, we're unable to, to know things, to ground things, to justify those things. And, uh, and here we're able to justify the stories that we tell uh, yeah. as well along these ways. So thus, in the biblical worldview, history is teleological. That is, is goal-oriented, like the theological uh, design argument. Uh, it is designed. It's, it's focused on uh, that goal. This, in turn, pre- uh, presupposes a goal-setter, a planner, a designer, 
all capitals on those. <laughs> this is how stories operate. History is a grand story that requires a transcendent author. This linear, purposeful, and personal notions that we call history is so axiomatic today that we take its origins for granted. Right, yeah. And he says, you know, the Greeks, namely Herodotus or uh, Thucydides, are routinely acknowledged as the architects of historical writings. But he tells us the Hebrews had a more fully worked out philosophy of history nearly a, a millennium earlier right. than the yeah. Greeks, right? Uh, the comprehensive and sweeping flow of the historical narrative from Genesis to Revelation uh, is the divinely inspired datum from which we can frame the meaning of life and existence that is true reality, right? And so it is only, uh, it's the only worldview, he tells us, that uh, uh, adequately situates good and evil in the broader uh, parameter of history and you know how our own lives are shaped uh, by this god orchestrated story it's the only worldview he says that makes sense that fits that uh, allows us to see where we fit in in the in the whole grand scheme of things right 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 and and we see even within the bible itself uh that there's there's a pull uh from the the the, the point of uh of the story being told, and usually a look back. You know, why is the Exodus uh, throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament? It's because it's talking about that redemption um, story arc. You know, you were slaves, uh, you were you were abused, you were downtrodden, you could not escape. The 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 the, the great might of Egypt was against you, and I, God, and God alone, uh, not only subdued. Uh, the mighty Egypt, but then took you out and allowed you to walk unharmed into the desert towards the promised land that so much so that you couldn't even get your foot wet. <laughs> and we see that uh, re uh, revealed with uh, Jesus be call be being called the, the second Adam. Okay, well, therefore we're supposed to apply certain elements from the story of Adam in there or the the, the, the king of David. You know, mm. the, the divinic king comes uh, you know, uh, the son of David, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the Bethlehem. What, what, yeah. You know, why does he have to be there? Because it pulls from that story, and 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 those are mixed in with the factual events of history that that God is using. Yeah. Um, the the book that I always talk about, uh, God Dwells Among Us by G.K. Beale. It's that uh, idea of the temple is seen as a uh, as a as a reference point. It's uh, uh, ultimately revealed in heaven as God's throne. But he brings it to earth in the garden. He brings it to earth in the temple, in the tent of meeting, in the temple, in uh, in Christ, and then the church, and then uh, the the ultimate uh, um, uh, coming to earth in, in that version as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. So framing the plot, plot line of scripture is where he talks about uh, this piece. So how do we put the pieces of the biblical story together? So well, he's going to yeah. put it all yeah. together. Here, here are all these stories. Yeah. What, yeah. How does how does it look? What what are we what what's the picture on the box? You, know, <laughs> you, you, you turn to the cover. It says the Holy Bible, but it doesn't paint you that that picture of right. like okay, where are my borders? Right. <laughs> so he's going to give that to yeah, us. We, right. We got to get the borders first. <laughs> so there are a number of ways in which various scholars with differing theological commitments have sought to ascertain the overall framework of scripture's narrative storyline but they all hang the plot points of the following movements of the drama one the initial creation accounts in genesis 1 2 2 the fall of adam and eve in genesis 3 and its ultimate consequences 
3, the initiation of redemption with the seed of Abraham. That's where it starts, kind of deal. Uh, the, and that's uh, seen uh, in the nation of Israel. 4, the climax of the redemption in the incarnation of the Son of God and his death and his resurrection. Uh, because we remember we talk about there's 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 kind of two story modes. There's the the, the drama, so we need either uh, redemption or we need uh the, the story to end terribly, and, right. and, and we, we must learn something from it. Tragedy or comedy. Right, kind of right. Thing, yeah. And guess what? There's redemption, then there's tragedy, <laughs> and then there's redemption again. <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> the fifth one is the, the, the progress of the redemption after the ascension of Christ and in the expansion of the church. And finally, the consummation of redemption at the return of the Christ. Those last you know five pages that you're like, okay, it's really summing up now <laughs> before we close the end of the book. So he's going to work us through these six, uh, you know, these six storylines, I guess, these six uh, movements in the drama of, uh, of, of scripture, right? Mm-hmm. And so he tells us the, you know, the fundamental storyline, the overarching thing of the Bible is how God's glory is magnified in his response to evil through sending of the Redeemer, you know, his beloved son, Jesus Christ. The story itself is the theodicy of scripture. So there it is. He says the, the story about how God redeems is the theodicy of scripture. It is the explanation of the problem of right. evil. Right. right, that's what he's getting at here. Why, right? why? Why does evil exist? So that God can redeem. He yeah. can show His redemption character in there. Right. Good. And so, while this story contains, he tells us a crisis of stupendous proportions, we do not blame the author of the story for writing it into the plot, uh, precisely because the wonder of the story is how the crisis gets resolved in due course. Right. Oh, George Orwell, <laughs> why, why did you create this totalitarian government? Yeah. Yeah. That. Because, yeah. It was wrong. Yeah. It was bad. It yeah. did evil things. You know. Shame on you. Well, we don't say that. <laughs> right. 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 And in the end, uh, the party wins. Yeah. Know, spoiler alert. <laughs> it's terrible. But it's it's sad. It's depressing. Uh, you don't know what truth is at, <laughs> at the end of it. You don't know if Emmanuel Goldstein was was you know the true rebellious leader, or if the party is is uh, needing to react to it, or it's using it. You, you have no clue what's going on. <laughs> And that's what we're supposed to learn from it. Yeah. Well, okay, we're part of the story now. What do we learn from it ultimately? There, there's, uh, you know, God is the author and he's, he's the, the, the reader of, of his story. But, uh, but we're not being handed the, 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 the book and, and, uh, and saying, okay, what did we learn from it? We are learning from it. That's right. <laughs> we're part of the book. Right, right. <laughs> we, we, we don't want it to end, end with the death of Christ. And, okay, well, that was your one chance. You should have done better. Or Genesis 3, you had it perfect. Uh, you lost it. You messed you up. Done That's better. the end of it. Uh, <laughs> close the book. Well, yeah. well, we'll know better for next time. That's right. Earth 2. <laughs> so as traumatic, uh, traumatic as the crisis is, the glory that attaches to its resolution through the work of Christ far exceeds its crushing weight. And that's, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm reading a, a book on, on Puritan and Reformed prayer and just the, 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 the words that, the, the heartfelt words that the Puritans had for understanding their own sin and the, the need for Christ and, and just, well, you know, why is, we, we talked about like, why is hell um, um, so tragic? It, it, there, there's no redemption process. It's because uh, uh, when we look at it that way, we don't have a, correct understanding of what our sin is and who God is. And, and that has to be um, in comparison uh, to, to one another. And, and we, 
we don't have a right to call it unfair. We, we have a right to say God can leave us out there, but it doesn't end at Genesis 3. It doesn't end at the death of Christ. There's more to the story. There, there's more pages being written. Thus, instead of blaming the author for introducing the crisis, he is praised for authoring a plot whereby sin, evil, pain, suffering, and death are swallowed up in victory, mm-hmm. ultimately to be put uh, into the ground, into Hades, into uh, uh, Sheol, and, and done away with forever. The, great, uh, the greater the crisis, the more costly its resolution and the more glorious its defeat. That's why, uh, why do we keep talking about Christ? Why do we t- keep talking about the cross? It's not, it's not just for our sake that we're saying, oh, this is the only way to be saved. That is absolutely true. But it's, you know, it's the creator, it's the, the author enters into his book, in, into the story, mm. and gives himself up completely. Yeah. He takes upon uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the sin of his, of his people and, and ultimately pays the price for it and then gives us his righteousness. That's an amazing, amazing story. You almost wouldn't believe it. <laughs> the greater the crisis, the more costly its resolution and the more glorious its defeat. So it says, uh, let's frame the storyline by using our five standard plot points, the exposition of, uh, of, of Paytech's uh, pyramid, uh, exposition, rising action, climax, falling action. All right, so we'll start with the exposition of uh, creation and fall. So this is kind of the the, the first uh, plot point in uh, Freytag's pyramid here, creation and fall. And so we'll begin with the creation. He says that the the greatest historical drama begins with creation. The, The opening verse of Genesis is ripe. He tells us with the exposition of the story, setting up the conditions under which the conflict will arise. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1, right? And and one of the first things he wants us to notice here is that the universe does not, notice, emerge out of something but out of someone, yeah, right. a person, right? right? right. <laughs> he sets the stage. Who's the actor? God. Okay. Yeah, and then yeah. what does he do? He builds the set. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wait, hold on. We're, we're, we're supposed to get the setting first. Right. Uh, yes. <laughs> He's setting it up. It, right. It's just taking a minute. And uh, uh, starting on page 262 of, of the hardcover is where we're um, covering this. The, the, the way he lays this out, I, I think, is just phenomenal. He, he does such a good job of storytelling, a story that, you know, we know well. Oh, yeah. And it just, yeah. it, it, it's, it's uh, very well done. I, I highly suggest uh, clicking the links in the book, pick, picking the book up, and, uh, and starting in 262 on, on the hardcover, just reading the, the description of, of, of the story of, of the Bible, told in this kind of uh, story form that's, that's uh, familiar, but also uh, just neat to see in this format. Right, and he does, yeah, you're right. He does a good job of telling this yeah. the story yeah. here. Uh, the constitu- constituent elements of all created reality concisely managed in one verse, the in, uh, indicative that God has eternally existed, irrespective of the advent of time, the beginning as well as space and matter, the heavens and the earth. Is that everything? That's pretty much everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the implication is that while the creation has its beginning in God, God has no beginning. We're not told about, you know, the, the, the birth of Zeus in, in, in this, this story. <laughs> right. uh, you know, the, the, there's no ether that, uh, that the gods exist in. 
Furthermore, he is no idol god of deism, but the living, active, and sustaining Lord of all. Right, so he just didn't create and then walk away. No, mm-hmm. he is he's part of the deal. He's he's interacting with it. He's you know, he's uh sustaining it, yeah. keeping it, that Holding kind it, of stuff. Looking like, at it, yeah, creating out of it. Yeah. yeah. So while God is the center of the story, man, he tells us, is central to God's unfolding plan. Uh, he's, uh, you know, a supporting character, right. we might say. Thus, God places the man Adam and his wife Eve in the garden, Genesis 2.8, and a de, uh, which is a divine sanctuary, he tells us, of delights, <laughs> in order that his personal presence, that is God's personal presence, might be manifested to them in a place marked by perfect harmony and fellowship. Right, so there it is, Eden. Uh, and they have been commissioned, he tells us, to Edenize the entire creation, right? right. To make all of creation like Eden. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty neat. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, if we're, if we're looking at the, uh, uh, the script, you know, if, if you're given a, a script to the, to, the, um, to the play. Well, we, we are starting with the author. Uh, he's constructing the set, and you get to day six, and here are the actors. Here are the people but also the the, Supporting the, cast. the the author and director of the story comes in and introduces us. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. it's the 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 narrator enters and and uh, t- uh, talks about it. call call me Ishmael, <laughs> <laughs> call me Yahweh. So he comes in. So while God is the center of the story, uh, uh, sorry. So so yeah. so yeah. So anyway, practically speaking, he tells us that uh, this Edenizing means the that humanity has been tasked with a a cultural mandate. Yeah. Right, it's, uh, it's the goal. It, yeah. It's it's what they're supposed to do. It's what the uh, Jews are supposed to do. It's what Christ is doing. It's what the church is uh, supposed to do as well. And it's what ultimately will be done in the end. Right. And so they're supposed to, you know, uh, pursue this intellectually, uh, technologically, aesthetically, and social socially to yeah. establish this civilization. Of a God-drenched wonder, right? As he says, Edenize the entire creation, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty neat to, to kind of think about that. Yeah. Throughout the account, every aspect of this creation is pronounced good. Everything material and immaterial is very good. Genesis 131. Beautiful, without blemish, the way things ought to be. God is the sum and substance of goodness, Psalm 100, verse 5. Therefore, he cannot make anything bad. In the light of God's glorious goodness, his creatures can bask in the fullness of joy with pleasures forevermore flowing from the palm of his hand. There is no longing, no anxiety, no dissatisfaction, no sin, no death. All is right where the world, but this paradise is soon to be lost. <laughs> right. It's glory dissipated. Wow. So you have this beautiful uh, picture here, and of course, um, it's about to fall. Yeah. If, if I was rich, everything would be perfect. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, until it falls. That's right. <laughs> so he says, Genesis wastes no uh, time in introducing the central conflict of the story. The sunny warmth of the garden is immediately overshadowed by dark, billowy, you know, fast-churning storm clouds, right? The, the order, the beauty, the peace, the harmony described in Genesis 1 and 2 comes quickly. Quickly crashing down, he tells us. Uh, this all comes by way of meeting the main villain of the story, the crafty serpent, better known in Revelation 22 as Satan. Yeah, right. The snidely whiplash. He comes in with twirling his mustache. This is this is him. Right, and so just as the Bible portrays God without a hint of evil, the Bible portrays Satan without a hint of goodness. 
right? Satan seeks to subvert the whole order of creation and derail humanity's task of glorifying God in the establishment of a holy kingdom, right? So evil, yeah. evil, evil. There <laughs> right. it is, right? right. right. Personification. And, yeah, and and um, th- there's no false story with him. He just come comes into the story. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> Eve's heart is captured. Mm. Her response shows no enthusiasm for the truth. Wow. Well, yes, we can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Uh, missing from her answer is that any tree is to be freely eaten except right. for one. Why that one? Why not all the other ones you could possibly, uh, you know, uh, out of out of all the cookies you could possibly have, child, you're reaching up to the one on top that is mom and dad's cookies. Just leave it alone. <laughs> Adam and Eve doubt God's goodness and wisdom, and this leads to disbelief in his integrity. Mm. They convince themselves that he has lied to them, that God has lied to them. You shall not surely die, the serpent rejoins. The first doctrine to be denied, according to the Bible, is the doctrine of judgment. Mm. If you can get rid of that one teaching, then rebellion has no adverse consequences, and you are free to do anything. Yeah, that is a a really interesting observation, right? The first doctrine to be denied is that you're going to be judged. Right. Right. You shall not surely die. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And of course, you know, from there, as he mentions, you know, well, if there's no consequences for anything that I do, I can do anything I want. Yeah. I'm free. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, he says, uh, and what wonders come into view as the eyes of both were open? None. Yeah. Yeah. I like this part. <laughs> no power, no pleasure, no freedom, no feeling like God euphoria. Right. You Rather- should become as gods. Okay. I've eaten from it. Oh, man, what did we do? (laughs) A sudden realization of ugliness, of nakedness, of shame, of disillusion, right? So instead of power, there's vulnerability and helplessness. Instead of pleasure, there's pain and suffering. Instead of freedom, there's bondage, right? Instead of feeling like God, he tells us, there's this searing reality of frail creatureness. And uh, paradise is lost, Mm -hmm. right? So everything that was promised... The opposite happens. So the conflict of the story is sealed by the divine curses that inexorably fall upon the man, his wife, and their progeny. They uh, bring ruin and death on themselves and the creation. It's not just this affects man, but this affects all creation. It it stems out from man and goes to the entire world. Death means separation. Physical death separates one's immaterial soul from the material body. But this isn't the worst of it. In its darkness dimension, death is alienation from the life of God. Mm. So that's mm. what uh, will be experienced. Right. And that's this what day you shall die. Death is all this, about this is what so, it is. So death is separation, mm. physical death for the soul from the body, spiritual death, you know, you shall die, is this alienation, this separation mm-hmm. from God, right? Right. right. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of implications here, a, a lot of uh, disagreement on first death, second death, but. But ultimately, um, that's what it is. It's alienation from God. There's a reason that uh, when when we get to the redemption part of the story, uh, this is so important. Mm-hmm. And it is here that the histor- historicity of Adam and the fall is critical. Without a historical Adam and fall, doubt is also cast on the rest of the biblical storyline's resolution 
to the central crisis of humanity. Right. So all the rest of the Bible revolves around this this uh, fall of Adam, right? Mm-hmm. And and so if you take that away, well, then the whole you know what's going on is not you know yeah. um, the whole thing kind of um, uh, is cast in doubt, as he tells us. Right. right? Yeah. That, that's the made up story. And so here here's uh, I'm walking along with Jesus. He dies on the cross. He rises again. And uh, people's, uh, uh, you know, call, calls him God and the redeemer of, of their sins. Well, what? Uh, rede- redemption from what? Yeah. Well, that, that old story from, from back that, in the that day. That really didn't happen? But, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, there are, there are implications to it. And, um, you know, even Christ talked about uh, the, the belief in, in Adam and Eve being real and existent. Right. So the next thing, and we'll, we'll save it till next time, is yeah. the, the rising action, right? The movement toward redemption. That's where he wants to go next yeah. time. Right? We're leaving you on a cliffhanger, <laughs> more, more like ascending the cliffhanger. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're, we're going to leave you on the, on the upward slope to, to ski down. That's so right. we're going to turn off the lights. You're going to be stuck on the swinging chairlift, and you're, you're going to have to wait until the, the, the employees come back and, and, and turn everything up again. And go, oops, sorry, our bad. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, so, again, uh, if, if you're following along with us in the book, we're in the middle of Chapter 11, the, the kind of the, the mid, midway of, of this book, where he's laying out his theodicy. And part of that is the reason for the existence of evil. That's what we're trying to do. And so here's the story in which this theodicy is laid out. Why does evil exist? It's because of what's being laid out here. So um, if you don't think that this is an important part of, of his argumentation, this, this is, uh, you know, the, uh, asking the why before the, the, the why, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's nice to say, uh, because God redeems. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not satisfying. Right. Because you have to read the entire story. Right, right. So you got to know the background. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so pick up the book. Uh, um, uh, you, you know, it's it's available in the, in the uh, links uh, below or on our website, cavethecross.com, and uh, you can order it from there or you can find it in normal places. So um, uh, really enjoying this chapter, uh, really interesting to think about. And so uh, hopefully you'll join us on the rest of our uh, book tour through uh, the story of, uh, of Jesus Christ and uh, God's redemption. Yeah. See you next time.